Today is August 5th, 2020. This is Sam Walking in the World, Episode 3. I wouldn't normally note the time, but it's about 5.30 in the morning. Um, I find that I do my best thinking at between 5 and 7 in the morning. Or maybe it's just whenever I wake up. I think it's because I'm not directing my thoughts while I'm sleeping. And I don't think I'm very good at directing my thoughts. The more I think about what I'm going to think about, the less able I am to have original thoughts. And I think when I wake up in the morning, I think all my original thoughts are saved up because I haven't been able to direct any of them while I was sleeping. And I often talk to myself when I'm walking down the street, walking the dog, as I did this morning. And it occurred to me, I thought, why don't you just go do it now? If you hear crunching, that's my dog in the background eating it. Elephant ear, pig ear, whatever they call them. I don't think it's really actually an ear. I don't think she knows the difference, though. Anyway, I got thinking this morning a little bit more about doing things, like I talked about in the last episode. And there's one thing I wanted to I wanted to mention about myself that has been a change that occurred over the last couple of years, and I think it was a, a, a significant contributor to why I was unhappy. And uh, and that was that over the last two years, I would say I've uh, I've gotten myself more physically fit. I, I think I've lost about 30 pounds. I'm a short man. And so 30 pounds is a lot. Like I said last episode, I used to be a runner, and I was a rail thin. Just from all the miles, I was probably running 55 miles a week when I was marathon training. And uh, when my hips went bad, I just started putting weight on. And I, I, I don't know if, it, if I got depressed because I put weight on or if I put weight on because I was depressed, but it didn't matter. I ended up being pretty fat and that's not, I'm, I'm not body shaming in any way. In fact, I got it. I got to feel what it was like to be looked at as a person who other people consider fat. And I definitely was. Now, in my own mind, that didn't really change that much about who I was, essentially who I was, what I was. Definitely changed how I was. And that's where I think my thinking was all wrong. Um, but nevertheless, I got to feel what it's like to have whoever you are as a person be seen through the prism of something specific. Like my whole life, I've been seen through the prism of being short. <clears throat> whenever I whenever I would get mad, people would I, I would think that people would automatically presume that I had a Napoleonic complex. Like anytime a short person gets angry, or or is in a position of authority, and they've lost their patience with people, that people think they have a Napoleonic complex. Um, he got erected for all of us, but it still makes sense to not end up in a bad mood, whether you're an authority or not. And, uh, but I also got to I, I got to be seen now through the prism of being short and fat. <sighs> 
I couldn't help it. I couldn't help but picture what I would think of me from somebody else's perspective. And it was kind of dehumanizing. Not to be so uh, touchy-feely, but I did feel like th these people are seeing who I am, at least who I think I am, secondary to these superficial characteristics. But I realized they're not that superficial. I mean, being short is. I can't control, you can't control being short. But you do have some control in most cases over whether or not you're fit. And so one of the big changes that, that affected my level of happiness over the last couple of years is that I got fit. I did it personally by, by exercising and eating less. <laughs> That's my secret. Um, people always talk about how, how to lose weight or how to get physically fit. But it really comes simply down to those two things. I uh, exercise by swimming. Uh, first, now I swim and I ride a bike, like a mountain bike. I can't run anymore, obviously. But, uh, but you know, I've heard the expression that you, uh, you, um, you don't get yourself fit in the gym. You get yourself fit in the kitchen. And uh, I've come to believe that is definitely true. Um, I don't know why I was eating <clears throat> so much or why I was eating so badly. I definitely eat less. And I, I don't follow any specific diet, but I follow principles like like I eat. I, un, I try to avoid eating unnecessary carbohydrates. Doesn't mean I don't eat them, but I've always, I've always thought and it worked for me before, so I know for my particular body it works. But when I, when I made an effort to, in general, cut out pizza, pasta, and potatoes. Um, it really made a difference. And and actually, I, sh I should have said bread, pasta, and potatoes. Because pizza falls into the bread category. So many of the things that I like, especially growing up in an Italian family, are full of carbohydrates. Um, I realized that I, it, I my mother would always make ziti or spaghetti. Some kind of pasta. And I loved it. But what I've realized is that it wasn't really the pasta that I liked. It was the sauce. And so you can have that same sauce on chicken or any. All right, now I'm getting out in the weeds. I'm not, this is not a nutritional episode. But the point is, I feel a lot happier now that I've gotten myself fit. And it was funny that when I, when I, this gets back to the idea of doing things. Um, I, when I, when I realized that it was time for me to have to get myself more physically fit, it was just, I didn't want to be carrying all this weight around on hips that were brand new. I knew that it would affect the longevity of my new hips, which are amazing, by the way. Um, I, I just started doing it. Yeah, I, I, I was I was pretty sure I was going to do it. Uh, and right, right away, I just one day, I just started doing it. And I didn't expect to have immediate results, which is a, a, a pitfall. And another pitfall is that I didn't, um, I didn't make any grand pronouncements. Like, I know people 
like this, and maybe everybody's like this sometimes, but people who tell you they're going to lose weight. All right, I got to lose weight. They usually say it right after they finish the giant meal. They don't usually say it right before they go on a giant bike ride. Um, but I just thought, all right, you know, and I, I've heard the expression over and over again. Again, it's another one of those cliches, but when you apply it to your life with specific examples, it makes a lot of sense. Is um, I, uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, I don't know. <laughs> That'll happen from time to time. But it's along the lines of, of of just do it. Just do the thing. I think Nike was ahead of their time when they came up with that slogan. Um, but I ended up losing, like I said, about 30 pounds. And it wasn't so much... Oh, here's the, the, the cliche is, is trust the process. And it's really hard. It's really hard because you want the outcome. You want the product. But, but the process is the hard work, the difficulty. And, and you can't have it now. You got to want it enough so that you'll, you'll, you're willing to get it later. So in some way, you have to try to find a way to fall in love with the process of getting there, which I did. I just knew that it would add up like everything else. If you do it a little bit each day, it adds up good things and bad things. And so I trusted the process. Uh, and it worked out. I recommend that. It's hard. It's like saying, it's like any self-help book. It's like... Yeah, the, the outline of what to do is pretty easy to spell out. What's difficult is getting yourself to muster up the will to do it. And they can't give you that in a book. But it's amazing how it's it becomes an upward spiral. When you do it a little, you wake up the next day feeling better. And then you do it again and you feel better. And then you, when you do start to see actual payoff, you're like, all right. And you don't need to feel that you don't feel the need to make giant pronouncements about how much weight you're going to lose. Or, you know, people always say, I should read more. Someone, anytime, try mentioning a book to somebody. Like, oh my gosh, I read this book. You'd love it. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. I don't have time. I really should read more, though. And then they'll, they'll binge watch, like, uh, something on Netflix. Which I love doing too, um, and and so what I I don't know why I'm going off on this tangent, but I only read when I want to. I don't read because I should, and it makes it a lot easier to make the choice then. My idle time, just be like, I think I'm going to read. I'll start if I get bored. I'll stop. Usually, it is the starting though that makes the difference, whether it's a bike ride or. The first few sentences of a chapter or anything. So, I guess I didn't really plan on going into all that. Um, 
What I do want to talk about, I guess, a little bit more is um, language. I'm, a, I'm an English teacher, um, but I'm really just Sam walking in the world. And I, I guess I've always been interested in language. I mean, I was, I, I would look right my, I was looking back through this old scrap stuff that my mother had saved and dug out of some cabinet, and that, and she showed me uh, poems I've written her for her, like Mother's Day or whatever when I was like eight years old, and for eight, I think they were pretty good. I, I was, I was, I've always been a fan of rhyme, and you know, as as uh, uncool as rhyme is. Although, it must be pretty cool because it's in all kinds of pop and rap songs. But when, when it comes to writing poetry, if you, if you rhyme, you're not cool. In fact, I think the, the best poetry now is the, is the poetry that you don't even know what the hell it's about. Which I, I don't understand. Like, I can be esoteric, but I'm also literal. It's like things have to make sense. But anyway, I've been drawn to language. Uh, I always thought a lot about what what I meant, what I meant, like what I what I mean when I say something. I usually, I used to just let stuff fly out of my mouth, and I was pretty good at language enough so that I think I did okay, just communicating. But the, the, over the last few years, another thing that's made me happier is that uh, I don't blurt as much. I I really think think about the meaning I want to convey before I decide how to say it. And uh, it's funny, it got me thinking about what the purpose of language is. I was listening to a guy on the, on the podcast the other day and and he was talking about how he was he was talking about how he used to say uh, when he would refer to data like in a study or something he would say the data are not valid. The data are showing that because data is plural. And so it's grammatically correct to say uh, data are. But it just, it sounds snobby. Most people, the ring in their ear when they hear it, it sounds snobby. And so I think, so even people who know that they're supposed to say data are, they say when they're speaking, they say data is. The data is faulty, even though it's not correct. And uh, I, I, it, it, it does open a window into the idea of what language is for. Language is for the purpose of being understood. Now, when it's when spoken, and when written, really. Um, but it begs the question: What, well, what should the rules of language be? If the purpose is just for communication, then language ought to be whatever is most well accepted in terms of understanding what this and that word means but that's a slippery slope because if 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 language fads occur which i guess you would call slang then and they keep changing rapidly then if you're not up with the fad then you are unable to either understand what somebody's saying or say something in a way that would be best understood by that person like, I remember, like, like when it came to describing girls that were really pretty, and I, I think back on it, and when I said it, it was like, it was like it had perfect meaning. Like, of course that's the word for that. 
Um, but not looking back, I'm like, oh my god, it's like it's like it's like it, the vocal, the verbal equivalent of bell bottoms. And I was we we used to say in the '80s, we used to say she's mint. Like I know people still describe a car like that, like oh, she's in mint condition. But we'd be like, oh my god, look at her, she's so mint. It just sounds so stupid now. And then we went through hot, right? She's really hot. And then hot so much turned to fire. She's fire. Um, and I honestly, I'm old now. I don't even know what the new one is. Maybe it cycles back around, like uh, the way Bermuda shorts turned into jams. But all right, if I keep doing this, I'm going to lose my train of thought. Um, oh, what is the purpose of language? And so, I. I do believe it is to be understood. And so well, just like the guy that I was listening to in the podcast who was talking about how to use the word data, I, I, the, one of the common ones that I find is um, because, you know, English teachers have a terrible reputation for being sticklers. Like they know the special code of proper English. And if you're not using it, then, then you're dumb or something. And it's just, I don't like that. I don't like that. A lot of English teachers speak with flowery language and, and, and they use extravagance and sophistication when that isn't necessary to, com to completely and even um, gracefully communicate what you're saying. Sometimes it's not the big word or the, you know, SAT word. It's the simple word that actually covers the meaning. I try when I work with students in their writing, I try to talk about that um, because I think there's a misconception that you have to sound intelligent. But you do, except sounding intelligent really is saying the thing that you mean. And so um, for me, I found myself feeling that feeling, English teacher -y feeling when I when when I would use prepositions correctly. The they say. Um. You're never, you're never supposed to end sentences with prepositions, but we do it all the time. And just a, a little pr primer for those of you uh, is is that prepositions are words like with and for and at and to. And um, you're not supposed to say like, uh, hey, what's up? Where are you at? You're supposed to say, where are you? Or, um, but, but it gets, it gets, uh, it sounds snobby again when you when you force that into language in certain cases where most people say it a certain way. Like um, I, I would be like uh, someone asked me for directions. I'd say, "Okay, what are you looking for?" I, I'm supposed to say, "For what are you looking?" That's just there's no way that doesn't sound like a elitist snob. Or uh, to where are you going? Uh, there's an old joke that goes: uh, There's this this guy from Alabama who comes up to visit, comes up to Boston to visit his brother who's going to college at Harvard, and he and he um, arrives on the campus and he's looking around. And he can't find his dorm, and he walks up to some guy. I imagine that the guy he walks up to has like a uh, a blazer with patches on the elbows. And, he, and in my mind, I don't know why he's smoking a pipe, but I guess he is. 
and he says, um, I'm looking for such and such dorm. Do you know where it's do you know where it's at? And the snob takes the pipe out of his mouth and says, At Harvard we don't end our sentences with prepositions. And the guy from Alabama goes, Oh, I'm sorry. Could you tell me where the dorm is at, idiot? And I think that captures it for me. Um, I'm going to talk more about language, I guess, just because I like it. Um, and I'm going to continue in the same threads of, of talking about doing things, talking about what makes me what I am, how I am, who I am. Um, and uh, I guess I'm going to take a short break, and I'll be back after this sound sample. <laughs> 